And good morning again. Uh, for those of y'all that are joining us for the first time online in this way, uh, thank you for being here and for giving us part of your weekend. And, you know, I think we're all um, a little on edge and we're all hurting a little bit. And I hope wherever you are this morning, emotionally or spiritually, you find something here this, this morning, right now, that you're, that you're needing, something that you're looking for um, here at the Story Online. It is a strange experience to lead worship and preach a sermon in a big room without all of you here <laughs> with us. Uh, I don't want to say we're getting used to it. It, uh, it doesn't get any easier emotionally. And luckily, we've uh, started adding a few people here and there, just a little more staff or a little more volunteers or onlookers to come and give us some company <laughs> because it can get pretty lonely here without all of you. But as I said earlier, one day soon, I believe we'll be gathering back together again, and we'll be so grateful then. We won't take it for granted anymore like maybe we once did. Hey, until that time comes, we want to make it possible for you to keep growing in faith. We want to give you all the tools that we can. And suddenly, the story has a family of podcasts. Who knew that that was happening? And now we have three different podcasts that the story is producing. The first one is the one most people are familiar with on a regular basis. It's just simply the Story Houston podcast. And that is uh, just sermons. So there's like 280 sermons on that podcast from the very beginning, the very first sermon I ever preached at the Story Houston Five plus years worth of sermons are there and available for you. The second one is called Maybe God Podcast, and that's the one I think we put the most time and effort into, and we research uh, topics, and we present these episodes, highly produced topical episodes that we release once or twice a month. We just released a new episode about the importance of rest, amen, hallelujah, the importance of Sabbath and the dangers of busyness and overbooking ourselves. So, so important. You can check that and other episodes out at maybegodpod.com, maybegodpod.com, or just search up Maybe God Podcast. It was uh, ranked by Apple last year as one of the top 100 um, spirituality podcasts in the world. And uh, of course, we started this new podcast called The Story at Home. Short, simple, daily episodes for y'all to feed your families with. So we, we want to gear these toward sort of heads of household or adults living at home that can take what we give them in these podcasts and then uh, give it to the people in your households. And so uh, every morning, six or seven, we're going to start releasing them at 6 a.m. this week. You early birds really want them at six instead of seven. So we're going to do that. And uh, just real simple, accessible stuff. Y'all check those out at thestory.church slash podcasts, plural podcasts with an S on the end. And uh, you can uh, find all of those podcasts there. Thank you in advance for doing that and for sharing them with your friends. Hey, I know it's been a weird time. It's been a difficult time. We're all feeling it. Um, but today we're, we got something really important to do. Um, we're going to learn about a specific uh, element or characteristic of God's love that can change the world. And uh, this is really important for us and our families and relationships too. And I'm going to talk about why uh, for the next 25 or 30 minutes. Okay, so let's get to work. Uh, I was. Uh, studying this, uh, this research that's come out on uh, marriages. And so recently, um, a study came out of the University of Washington that uh, followed 93 or so couples for 10 years, married couples. And what they wanted to know is what is the secret of the couples who make it? And so everybody knows marriage is hard and you know the divorce rates are what they are. But the ones that make it, what are they doing differently? What's the most common denominator? And it's really interesting. Um, I think most people would say uh, money helps. Uh, intimacy, sexual intimacy, that helps. 
of families that get along, that helps. All that might be true, but the number one most common denominator that they found among the couples who made it work and stood the test of time was when a husband and a wife regularly went out of their way to speak glowingly of their spouse, to speak about their spouse in glowing terms, and not just to the spouse, but uh, to other people about the spouse, and preferably in the spouse's presence. So they heard their spouse talking good about them, right? And so the question came, like, why is that the most common denominator? Why do 90% of couples who regularly talk well of each other to their friends and family, uh, why do they have it uh, easier, find it, find it easier to, to make it? And I think the most common sense answer would be to say, I know my first response was, yeah, people who get along and like each other are going to say nice things about each other <laughs> to a greater extent than couples that aren't getting along. And so some of us might say, well, some couples, they just get luckier in love than the rest of us. You know, some couples are just made for each other and they are going to say nicer things about each other at a greater clip than the rest of us, right? Like that's, that's what that means. But the researchers suggested that it's not that simple. The researchers suggested that the inverse of that equation actually tells the whole story. And this is a paraphrase of a, of a quote from the study that they released. It said, um, although it may seem obvious that happier spouses say more nice things, <laughs> the inverse paints a truer picture. Spouses who say more nice things are happier. They're happier with their spouse for hearing those nice things about themselves, but they're also happier for having said those things about their spouse. It's almost like that language, that positive affirmation language, it has some mystical power that raises the level of a, of a marriage, right? That sets a marriage up for more success. I've seen it happen in marriages over the years. I'll give you a real life example from my own. All right, first of all, you need to know Giovanna is the very best at this skill. Anyone, any wives out there that want to know how to do this, how to dig deep and find a compliment when a compliment is the last thing on your mind when you think of your spouse, Giovanna's the master of it. And she has um, helped our marriage in uh, innumerable ways. Anyway, on Friday morning, we were doing coffee with the pastors on Facebook Live, as we do most Friday, we try to do most Friday mornings at 10 a.m. And she's telling a story about when she encountered racism here in Houston at a Chick-fil-A. And we were talking about how Christians should respond to the, the issues uh, around race and racism that are going on in our culture right now. And it was her story to tell about herself and her experience, but she found a way to interject and insert me into the story in a more prominent way than she had to. And she saw this opportunity, even in the midst of this kind of devastating story, to prop me up. I'm not going to play the whole story for you. You're going to hear the tail end of it in this clip. But see if you can catch the moment when she goes out of her way to affirm her husband and, uh, and make me feel better about myself as a man. Let's, let's play that clip. But anyways, that day at the Chick-fil-A, I should say that I went um, to talk to the manager. And Eric actually went with me. Well, I this wasn't man, there. this man, I mean, honestly, well, I called him and he he got there from the church in probably three seconds. <laughs> I I was like, did a helicopter drop you in? I thought I cut a few corners on it, the way. I was fascinated. But this man always will come running when something like that has happened to me or the kids. And he, oh, I'm about to tear up. But he um, told the manager, said like, my wife, this just happened to her. 
And it was incredible what happened after that because first of all, the manager went straight to this woman and asked her to leave. She said, we are not going to tolerate anything like this. So. All right, so I hope you caught that. She really had no direct or obvious reason to interject that part about me coming to her rescue, right? And I got there in three seconds or whatever. Total exaggeration, but she's trying to, to tell the world she's got a husband who loves her and who's her protector. And I got to tell you, like a lot of guys, I think especially lately, I've been, I've been a little down on myself. I, I felt like this whole situation's out of my control. I don't know what to make of it or how to navigate these uncharted waters. And, and you know, this was more than just an affirmation from my wife. This was kind of an aspiration of hers. When she looks at me, she still sees me as the man who came in three seconds to Chick-fil-A to defend her. And I'm still her protector. And I got to tell you, that kind of uplifting language can turn your life around. It, it, does, it does more than just make you feel good. It makes you see yourself in a different light. It makes you feel new. And that's the power of the kind of love that we're talking about today. Now, of course, that same principle applies to all loving relationships beyond just marriage. All loving relationships can be benefited by people choosing to love one another in this sort of way. Um, there's something about being celebrated by those who love us, especially when those who love us have no like superficial reason. to Like it's not our birthday or it's not anniversary or whatever. They just go out of their way to tell the world, right? They don't just tell us they love us, but they tell every Facebook follower like Giovanna did. I, everybody watching Coffee with the Pastors knew right then how Giovanna looks at me. And that meant something to me, to be celebrated in that way, right? So there is a, there's an added power that comes when we don't just tell the beloved we love them, but we broadcast it. We publicize it to the world. We make sure her family, your in-laws, hear you say how much you love her and why. Like all these things apply to all of our loving relationships, marriages, and otherwise. Can you remember a time someone who loved you celebrated you? And some of you are having to dig deeper than you wish you had to, and I'm sorry. But try to remember a time when someone threw a party in your honor or surprised you with a party or they toasted you at dinner or they posted about you on social media even. How does that make you feel when you see someone championing you, propping you up, especially when you felt down on yourself? Of course, it makes you feel great. It makes you feel New, it's good to know that the people who know you best still believe in you. They still remember why they love you in the first place. Even though you've let them down, they still love you that way and see you that way. So all month long, what we're doing with this Lover series, um, as advertised by this oh-so-subtle neon pink lover sign <laughs> behind me, is uh, we're talking about the extravagant love of God which I know sounds cliche in church, but we're picking it apart and looking at the specific elements of the love of God. And we're asking, what is it specifically that distinguishes the love of God from the stuff we call love? What is especially romantic about the love of God and how it works in the real world? Um, and we're doing this for two reasons. First of all, I think there's a lot of people, even folks who call themselves Christians, who walk through every day still not aware of how much God loves you. You still have not internalized it. You talk about it, you sing about it, whatever, but you have not received it yet. And I want you to know how desperately God wants to love you. 
and for you to receive that love. Second, what happens when we live in such a loveless way, when love is just an idea or a feeling that comes and it goes, is we fail to love our families, our friends, and our neighbors, and even our enemies with the love with which God first loved us. And so we say we should love one another, but we don't know how because we haven't received the love from God. And so as we receive it and understand the love of God, we want to turn it outward and love our families, our households, and those around us the way God first loved us. So two weeks ago, we started the series by talking about God's pursuit of us. Last week, it was God's proposal to us. And today we're talking specifically about God's passion, his passion for us. And we're talking about it through the lens of these four stories Jesus told in Luke 15. These stories are interesting because um, it's a seminal chapter in the Bible. If you want to open up your Bibles or Bible apps to Luke 15, these four stories are almost so well-known that they're boring to Christians. Like, oh my gosh, this again. But the thing about Jesus' stories is that if you peel back the layers, you find new truth. You can, you can read these stories a hundred times, and then on a hundred and first reading, something hops off the page. And that's what happened to me when I read the story of the, the shepherd and the, the lost sheep, for example. And this is true of all four of these stories, but the one about the shepherd and the sheep jumped off the page for me in a way I've never understood it before. I had missed some stuff about how God loves us the way the shepherd loved the sheep, all right? So uh, Jesus tells a story about a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and he left the 99 behind in open country, Jesus said to go and find the one that wandered off. And to really understand or peel back that layer and find that hidden truth, you have to put yourself in the story. I know most of us have never been shepherds before. You gotta use your imaginations, but imagine being that shepherd. Those sheep are your livelihood. That's how you put food on the table for your family. That's your everything. And then because this one sheep wandered off, this one sheep got lost, you feel forced to leave the 99 in open country to go and find one lost one. As I said last week, there were shepherds in Jesus's audience going, nope, that's not how you do it. Clearly this guy's a carpenter. He doesn't know how to shepherd. (laughs) But Jesus wasn't talking about the fine art of shepherding. He was talking about the love of God. And so what's he saying about a shepherd who leaves 99 vulnerable sheep in open country to go out alone and search in the hot sun or that one lost sheep. What does that say about the love of God? It sounds ridiculous because it's exactly what it is. It's ridiculous. And I think about myself, I think about my own, what my own reaction would be if I was that shepherd and I was taking my life in my hands to travel alone through the wilderness to find this stupid sheep, probably your stupidest sheep, the one who's just the hardest to love. And I think if I found that sheep, I would be happy that I found it, but I would not be happy to see it. I don't, know if, I don't know if I can express the difference between the two. I would be happy that I found it finally, but I would want that sheep to know what I've been through to find it. I would want that sheep to feel bad. about Bad. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> about what I have been through for its sake. I would shame that sheep somehow. I would put that sheep on a leash and tug it, or I I would want it to feel the pain that it's caused me in some, I know it's petty, but I know myself to know that would be my reaction. I would be petty about it. But, But look at how Jesus talked about 
this uh, shepherd and what happened when the shepherd found the sheep. He said, when the shepherd finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. Again, try not to get lost in the familiarity of these words. This is super weird. So he, this, this awful, stupid sheep that put the other sheep's lives at risk, he picks the sheep up and doesn't just tug it on a leash, picks it up, puts it on his shoulders, goes back home. And as he's on his way home, he's walking through the village with this stupid sheep on his shoulders. And he's calling everyone else in all the houses that he's passing to party with him because he's got a sheep on his shoulders. Can you imagine the silly grin on his face as he's like walking through town with the sheep on his shoulders? You guys, I found it. I found my sheep. Look at her. I love this sheep. It's ridiculous because that's how the love of God works. It makes the lover look ridiculous sometimes. And the same phenomenon happens in all the other three stories. The woman looking for her coin, she finds it. And then when she finds it in the middle of the night, she's like telling the neighbors, she's waking up the whole village to come and celebrate and have a party because she found some silly coin. And then these two fathers, uh, the, the story of the, of the two sons with the father, it's the same phenomenon. The same thing that happens uh, is, is we see this, this love that's willing to look ridiculous when we think about this kind of love, it occurred to me this week, this is exactly what the world we're living in is lacking most. And everybody's talking about love, but nobody really understands what love is. Love is a shepherd finding a stupid sheep and putting it on his shoulders and throwing a party for it and inviting the whole village to come celebrate. That kind of love, it can change you when you realize that the God of all creation feels that for you. And when you get lost, he doesn't shame you for it or kick you when you're down or make you feel dumb. He celebrates you. He puts you on his shoulders and brings you home and tells all the angels, look at my kid. I found my kid. I love this kid. And he throws a party. Everybody is talking about love. I'm not sure we really understand it yet. Now, when you look about around the world, it's really what's missing. It's this kind of love. And I hear people on all sides saying they're the ones who know how to really love. There's, their side is where love really is, you know? Think about the debates recently. People on the far left will say, we know what love is because we're tolerant of all people, all races. We're tolerant. Okay, you don't, you don't have to tolerate people you love. You, you tolerate people you don't even like. By definition, that's what tolerate means. People on the right are, are no better. People on the, the fringe of the right especially will say, We're, we know what love is. We're colorblind. We don't see race. All right but you don't love people by ignoring who they are and what stories they have to tell because of the color of their skin. That's just a cop-out. And the truth is, people on the right really aren't colorblind. Many just don't want to have a 
conversation about race and racism. It's uncomfortable. And the truth is, people on the left really aren't that tolerant. They just want to look smart and sophisticated. The truth is, nobody on either side has yet to internalize what it means to love with real love. And the one characteristic that's missing from the public discourse about loving our neighbors or loving people who aren't like us is this characteristic found in all four stories. It's in full display, right? It's this characteristic that doesn't mind looking foolish. The shepherd has no qualms about looking silly for the sake of his beloved sheep. And the same with the woman and her coin. And the same with the father and his sons. They each took a risk to look really dumb in the, in the scheme of things. Like imagine if the day after the shepherd throws the whole town a party uh, in celebrating this lost sheep, imagine if the next morning the sheep is gone again and the whole village found out that one sheep we threw a party for, yeah, it's gone again. Imagine the laughter. Imagine what a fool that shepherd would look like. Or imagine this woman, if, if she dropped that coin again and couldn't find it, and she only had nine coins instead of 10, and the village found out, we threw a party in the middle of the night for a coin, you lost again? And the father, in the position of great patriarchal power, he gives all of his power away in both of the stories of his two sons, the disloyal prodigal and then the loyal older son. He gave all of his power to them. He put his heart in their hands and said, do with it what you will. What a risk. They could take advantage and make him look even more foolish than he already looked for giving the inheritance to the prodigal in the first place. Each of the lovers in the stories took a risk to look foolish in the eyes of others because real love is always a risk. It always means putting your heart on the line, risking being taken advantage of, risking looking silly. That's how love always works. It always has the chance to publicly humiliate you. But that's exactly the kind of love this world is missing. Uh, (laughs) Every time Giovanna goes out of her way to tell the whole world on Facebook or wherever what a good man she married, when she and and I both know I, I don't always live up to those words, every time she casts that vision of me as a great man in the public eye and what a lucky woman she is to be with me. She's taking a calculated risk because I'm a human being. What if one day I lose my ever-loving mind and I become a total narcissist, crazy person, and I decide I don't want to be in this anymore? I know all of you are thinking, why would you ever? I know, I know, I know. Hypothetically, what if I did? And she's put her heart out there She's told the whole world what a great man she married. It would be like adding insult to injury because she's put herself out there to love in such a vulnerable way. But real love never plays it safe. Real love never keeps it close to the vest. Real love always takes the risk because the possibility of a growing, loving relationship with your beloved is always worth it. Always. That's what's missing in the world today the world we live in. It's the kind of love that is not self-seeking. Y'all, it's the kind of love that doesn't mind being wrong. The kind of love that doesn't mind looking foolish. The whole world around you is aching to be loved this way. And of all the people on God's green earth, it's only Christians who have the unequivocal divine mandate 
to love everyone the way God first loved us. Without counting the cost, even when it hurts, to love people the way God first loved us, as Jesus said in John 13, 34. This is the love we're called to, and it's the love that will change you and the world around you. I remember when I was nine or 10 years old, I was a little kid, I was having a sleepover with one of my best buddies. And he was the same age, and we were hanging out late at night. Everybody else was asleep, and we were playing video games. And I remember this friend asking me where my parents keep the beer. <laughs> where do your parents hide the beer? And I said, they don't, they don't drink beer, which wasn't true, apparently. They were just really good at hiding it, and I didn't find it for a couple more years <laughs> after that. But he was surprised to hear my parents didn't drink beer. He said, they're always so happy all the time. I thought your parents drank beer. And I just kind of let that sit there for a second. I didn't know how to respond to that. And I remember him saying, I love it when my daddy drinks beer with his buddies. That's the only time he talks about how much he loves us. <laughs> that's the only time we, he meant he and his brother, that's the only time we hear how he really feels about us. Daddies, if you're listening, your kids are aching to hear you broadcast your love and acceptance and approval and affirmation of your kids. Let them hear it. And preferably not just when you're drinking. Let them hear it. Mommies, let them hear it. Wives, husbands, friends, neighbors, roommates. Kids, your parents want this from you too. When was the last time you broadcast your love for your mom or your dad publicly for all the world to know how proud you are to be their kid? How lucky you are to have them as a mom or a dad? Taking this step beyond just letting your beloved know that you love them, but letting the world know that you love them, that's where real change begins to happen. That's where walls fall down. And this is what the whole world is crying out for, this love that finds us and celebrates us. People in our world are talking a lot about what love means in this time of great division. People speak of love, and they march for love, and they sing songs about love. But the love that many of us speak and sing and march for. It's, it's a conditional kind of love. We commit to loving people who believe what we believe, who land where we land on the issues. We commit to loving people who talk like us and vote like us and act like us and look like us. This is not the love of God. Through the prophet Jeremiah, God told an adulterous and fickle people, I have loved you with an everlasting love. And he promised to never let them go. And then he came in the form of Jesus and he showed them, even to the extent of taking a cross on his back, he showed them how much he loved them and how much pain he would take on. He would risk for their sake. And then he called us to go and love the world in the same way. Just to love people. So we who follow Jesus are called to a higher standard than just the, the conditional and temporary feelings-based love of this world. We are called to love 
everybody with the love of God. We're called to love Democrats and Republicans with the love of God. We're called to love brown and black and white people with the love of God. We're called to love, you know, um, people, men and women who wear the badge, police officers with the love of God. We're called to love people with whom we disagree about everything with the love of God and not fall prey to the pettiness that we see on social media all the time. Don't give in to the comment section. Christians, we're called to love with the love of God. I have loved you with an everlasting love, God said. And that's the love we're called to extend to the world. Now, I know that some of you, I can almost hear your voices coming through the camera, back to me. I can hear you thinking, I'm out. I can't love that one group you just talked about. I can't do it yet. I'm not ready. I'm not capable. I don't have the capacity in my heart. Exactly. That's the whole point. No one does. That's why we're so bad at it. The point isn't to find it within yourself, the strength to love people who are so bad or different than you. The point is to allow the love of God to fill your heart to capacity and to the point of overflowing so that it's not your love you're extending. It is simply you, a channel of God's love being poured out of your heart and into your home, into your family, into the world around you. And so there are, are three simple things to do about this, and then I'll, I promise I'll stop. But the, the first thing is, is to ask yourself, have I really received the love of God yet? Have I, have I received it, internalized it? Have I been filled with it? Do I believe it? Will I receive it on faith? Open your heart for God to pour his love in. And I will tell you, just as we talked about in the Maybe God episode this week, if you haven't heard it, you cannot have that kind of a relationship with God if you're always in a hurry, always on the go. Have you stopped and reflected on the grandeur and wonder of God and how loved you are? And as he fills your heart with love to overflowing, at that point, you learn to love other people the same way. And it begins with those in your innermost circle. Don't skip a step. Don't go start loving, you know, Republicans on Facebook before you love your wife at home. Like, start close and let the love of God that's overflowing your heart pour into your family first or your household first. And remember, it's not just about loving them in a way that they know it. It's about loving them in a way that the world knows it. When was the last time you publicized your love for someone? When was the last time you bragged on someone close to you in a public way? I challenge you to do that in a very real, specific way this week. However that works for you, just do that. And watch the walls come down. Watch the world be changed. And finally, prayer is a powerful tool in learning to love the way God loves. It's a powerful tool. So if you don't know how to pray or you're not comfortable with prayer, I give you this simple prayer to pray every day this week when you wake up in the morning, Lord, help me to love people, the people that I meet today, to love them specifically the way you first loved would y'all pray with me today? Lord, we need you to show us the way. We are not capable of loving the way you call us to love. When left to our own devices, I'm afraid that we offer cop-outs. We offer the ifs, ands, and buts that uh, deflect from the reality of our need to love and be loved. God, teach us what it means to love others the way you first loved us. And if there are people here or watching online who 
have never really internalized your love because they've never really felt loved in, in everyday life. They felt neglect or they felt um, ignored. Some have felt abused by those who were supposed to love them. Lord, I pray for healing. Mend broken hearts, soften hardened hearts so that we might be receptive to your love that wants to fill us up right now. Thank you. Jesus, we thank you for showing us what love looks like. It's in your name we pray. Amen.